Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Oh, it smells really So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> How many of you have seen something like that before, the marshmallow test experiment, right? Well, I want to let you know that that was a test that they did in 1960. Um, a psychologist decided, like, I'm going to put four to six-year-olds in a room for anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes and give them a marshmallow and put it right there in front of them, open and available. And all they have to do is wait the 10 to 15 minutes, depending on which test they used, and they could have a second marshmallow. So I have two questions for you. Number one, number one, how many of you would have eaten the marshmallow? It was just too tempting, right? By the way, a lot of these children had never eaten a marshmallow before. So just the curiosity of that alone, like smelling it, the sugar coming off of it, right? How many of you would have waited? Because two is better than one, right? How many of you identified with the little girl at the very end who just ate it right off the bat? <laughs> right? Right? And then how many of you identified that like the only way I'm going to be able to, to distract myself from eating this is I'm going to start moving my hands around and doing things like that, right? You need a distraction, Right? Well, I'm here to share with you that the marshmallow experiment, 10 years later, after that, that first um, test that they had, and this is a newer one, but uh, these were the results they found in 15 to 18-year-olds after they did the marshmallow test, those that decided to wait for the second marshmallow. You ready? They were more competent in all subject matter. That means that they, they, were, they were able to understand all subject matter in high school. They were less prone to give in to peer pressure. They had lower body mass index, which means that they avoided obesity and things like diabetes at a young age, less likely to panic under stress, and had lower rates of addiction. If that doesn't get us thinking about something today, then I don't know what will. But today I want to talk to you a little bit about the microwave mentality. How many of you have a microwave in your home? 
right? Microwave mentality. See, a lot of us, we love the microwave or the Instapot or whatever the newest thing is that is just quick results, right? It's like all of a sudden you just pop that one thing in and in a couple minutes, bam, it comes out. I'm sure it's totally delicious and perfect and doesn't have any health issues at all in it, right? Probably not, right? But we use the microwave. I use this analogy um, because I feel like we live here in Orange County, Southern Orange County, and the culture is much like microwave mentality. Let me talk to you a little about what that means. Instant gratification. How many of you heard that word before? Also known in psychology terms as immediate gratification, right? Uh, it's the urge to satisfy a craving right away without considering the long-term effects. Now, I love donuts. Any of you have something you love, right? Maybe it's donuts, maybe it's candy, maybe it's chocolate, maybe it's coffee. Uh, maybe it's online shopping. It could be a lot of different things, right? We all love something, right? And a lot of times when that thing is put in front of us, we struggle to say, I'll only have one, right? The chips, right? You guys remember Lay's potato chips? Bet you just can't have one. How many of you can eat a whole bag of potato chips if you sat down and had them there? That's why you don't bring a whole bag to the couch with you. You have to bring them in portions. It's portion control, right? That's what we're talking about here with instant gratification. Instant or immediate gratification also says is a term that refers to the temptation and resulting tendency to forgo a future benefit in order to obtain a less rewarding but more immediate benefit. That was from positive psychology. It's like, I'll have it now, and then I'll figure out what long-lasting results or things that affected later. See, what they're trying to do with these kids is they're trying to delay the gratification, right? Um, and in our life, God is calling us at times, most of the time, to wait. None of us like to wait. Let me explain why. You guys know this? Oh, flip, the, flip to the next one for me. I want it now! That's my good friend Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. How many of you guys have either seen the movie or the play? I think it sounds something like this. Daddy, I don't know how, but I want it now, right? He's, she's yelling and demanding from her dad, right? That I want it now. Maybe you can identify with one of these two people. You can either identify with Veruca Salt because in your life you wanted things now. I want it now. I'm entitled to it and I want it now. Maybe it's a child in your home. Maybe it's uh, someone at your workplace that's like, I'm entitled to this and I want it now. Or maybe you identify with Veruca's dad, right? And he's like, I just want her to be quiet and leave me alone. And so you settle and you enable her and you hand her things and you are allowing for your children or as he did, Veruca, to have whatever she wants whenever she wants it, right? And as we all know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial. That's right. Think about this for a second. Uh, I, I found this quote from Bob Hostetler, who wrote the book, The American Dream, The Worship of Idols. We want everything and we want it now. Instant everything, instant messages, email, fax, internet, food, the faster, the better. Instant education, job, wealth, instant medical services, diagnosis, instant cures, instant family, travel, information, banking, right or wrong, Friends, we want it now. Have you seen that in our culture to today? It's alarming. And, and as I looked at this quote, this was a, an older quote, I think about how right now we can have same-day delivery given to us. 
we can have things in 15 minutes delivered to our house. Everything is just instant, instant, instant. Where is the waiting? I gave you guys all a now and later when you came in, right? Most of you got one. Uh, I was told I can't throw now and laters in the church. Actually, that's not what I was told. I just figured that would probably like, hit somebody's eye or something. But I have three left. Um, come see me after if you did not get one. My little girls were passing them out. Charlie and Paisley, thank you for that. You should have also gotten a note sheet. I made 90. And if they're all out, I apologize. Actually, there's some note sheets and some now and laters right here. If you want to quietly walk up and grab them. I had a few for the band. So I'll have them right here if you want to grab some. Won't bother me one bit. So there's those. So, now and laters. How many of you had a now and later when you were a kid? Right? Okay, here's my first question to you before we even start. Who's already started eating the now and laters? Josh already had some now and laters. Anyone else? You guys all waited. Nice. You, <laughs> you knew there was something to it, right? See, now and laters in 1963 made this taffy candy, and the reason they called it now and laters is because they wanted the customers to eat some of the taffy squares immediately, which is now, and then what? Have some later. But see, if you open up the package, right, I dare you to open up the package and just have one, right? You open up this package, it's telling you, well, there's, a, there's enough in here to have a couple now and a few later, right? And so I've got, I think there's five in here maybe? Four, okay? So the idea is for you to have a couple now and a couple later. But as a kid, I would go, I would get on my bike, and with my friend up the street, we would go over to the convenience store just down the street. We'd buy these by the packages, and then we would eat multiple at a time in our mouth. Maybe you guys have done that before. One lady said that when she was eight years old, she took her, her allowance, went to the grocery store, bought them, came back. She liked the banana flavor the best, if this is banana, I think, right? Banana. And she said she put all four of them in her mouth at once. Because it was this deliciousness. I don't know. It sounds like a sticky situation to me. But nonetheless, God is calling for us to do things now in the sense of, okay, we don't want to procrastinate. If there's things God's called you to, then yes, you can do them immediately. It's understand the consequences to your choices, right? I'm not undermining that, that like, I want everyone to do everything later. Because then all the kids are in here going, see, mom, I told you I can do my homework the day of or the night of. That's not what I'm, what I'm getting at right now. I'm getting at that the problem of our world right now is we are idolizing instant gratification. It's I want things now. So you guys know Jeff Foxworthy. You might be a redneck if, right? You guys have heard that before. I know he's getting a little bit outdated these days, but I made my own. You may be an instant gratification idolizer if you take shortcuts in work, relationships, and spiritual life. You get angry and have trouble waiting in line or better yet, traffic, right? You buy things on credit simply because you want them now. You get discouraged and give up if you don't see quick results in your, in your dieting, your studying, your saving, whatever it may be, your relationships. You stop praying for something when God doesn't answer it quickly. You may be an instant gratification idolizer if you have trouble waiting for mealtimes to eat. This is something we're trying to teach our own children. We have three meals a day. That is when you can eat right? They want to have dinner at like four and then have it again at like seven and then maybe at 10. And they should already be asleep by 10. So I don't even know why I said that. You expect your times of prayer and worship. This is what I'm talking about with my youth kids right now. You expect your times of prayer and worship to bring quick results, spiritual moments, as I call aha moments. And if they don't, 
well then, I, I, you know, you just don't buy into it, right? You only give it to God and the church if you're going to get something out of it in return. These are a few ways, just a few, that you might be an idolizer of instant gratification. I see this comic. It says, what do we want? And it says, instant gratification. And when do we want it? Now. I mean, it makes sense to me, right? So I have a story for you in the book of 1 Samuel today. I want to talk to you about Saul. This is Saul before David was even on the scene. This is Saul in 1 Samuel 13, 4 through 14. And I'm, I'm titling this story, Trouble in River City. Okay? Here's the situation. For those of you who have your Bible, you can turn to that. If not, the, the uh, verse will be there. This is an NIV version today. It says, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and the hill country of Bethel. And a thousand were with Jonathan at Gibeah and Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Here's where the story gets interesting. Verse 3. Jonathan just goes out and attacks the Philistine outpost of Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. He does not wait for any uh, command from his dad or anything. Um, Jonathan is obviously the son of Saul. He's like, I'm just going to go do it. I got the men to do it, the men power. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Not thinking about his actions, doing it now. Right? So then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost. And now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gigal. Like, we've got this. We've got our, man. We've got our, our army all checked in and ready to go. Verse 5, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel. We're coming back for you. With 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand of the seashore, they went up and just camped over at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. And when the Israelites saw their situation was now critical and that their army was hard-pressed, what do you think they did? You think they were like, they, they stepped to it and they were like, we're ready. No, they ran and hid. It says, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gigal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. We've got a situation here. And this situation, this sticky situation, this situation that Saul didn't really think about is going to take us into three S's today. See, situations in our life first manifest into stressful circumstances. There's a stressful circumstance in this situation, right? It's a, Samuel is coming, right? How long do I wait, right? So if you go to the next here, it says he waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to peace out, scatter. So he said, oh, he's looking around. He's like, it's been seven days. Where is Samuel? He told me he was going to come. He told me he was going to bless me. You know what? I can't wait any longer. Any of you done that before? Right? You maybe like, you were told it was this amount of time. And when that time is over, you're like, well, now I got to take matters into my own hands. This is exactly what Saul does. And not for a second does he think about what the repercussions could be. He says, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Now, isn't it interesting? He's actually worshiping God when he's doing this. At least he thinks. But we're going to find out that that's quite the opposite of what he was doing. He wasn't able to wait for Samuel to come and bless him with the offerings 
so that he could do this the way that God instructed him to do it. See, guys, when we're in stressful circumstances, our blood pressure is rising, right? Our blood pressure is rising, and that causes a lot of stress. I put this up here as a word uh, thing because I think when I think of the root of stress, it triggers into all of these things. Anxiety, pressure, strain, feeling, insecurity, avoidance, and the list goes on and on and on. Listen to these things here. Such stressful circumstances all too often lead us into temptation. Such situations often lead us into sin by prompting us on your note sheet to forget who is in control. We forget that God is still God and his word is still true and sure in our lives. See, when we take matters into our own hands, we forget who God is. And we decide, it's now in my control. That's exactly what Saul did. Furthermore, it says, when our path is smooth, when things are going well, we are not so apt to slide into the soft idolatry of instant gratification. But it's under the pressure of stressful circumstances that we are more likely to place our immediate wants and needs on a higher shelf than what God has commanded or promised. You know what, God? I know you said to wait, but I'm going to go ahead and just do it my way. And I think we all have been susceptible of doing this in our own lives. And we've given into the idol of instant gratification because we're too busy in our lives to have time for waiting. We've put too much in our life and we're like, I don't have the time. The culture that I've surrounded myself in is not a culture where we wait. It's a culture where we are result-driven. And I'm the worst of this. I'm preaching to the choir. I am an Enneagram 3, for those of you who know that. I'm a high achiever. Those of you that know me or have had uh, a student in my class, uh, your child's been in my class, you know that I'm type A, blood pressure high, like always going, going, going. But God is really trying to remind me in spiritual formation these, these years, these last few years, slow down and consider waiting on the Lord. Amen? It's so important, guys. So let's go back to the the text. The first one was uh, stressful circumstances, right? You guys got that? Situations lead us into sin by prompting us to forget who's in control. We forget that God is God and his word is still sure. That was the first one. Let's move on to number two. Selfish impatience. Did you know that when you're impatient, it comes from a selfishness in your own heart? It's a root that comes from that. See, there's two kind of like, there's, there's kind of like uh, two different ways we can think of it. We can think of it as Saul telling Samuel, what took you so long? And I think we've all said that before to either God or to someone in our life. What took you so long? Or it's the other person on the other side saying, what have you done? What have you done? Just as he finished making the offering, verse 10, Samuel arrived. Now, isn't that funny, right? Just when we finish doing that one thing, someone arrives on the scene and reminds us, you weren't supposed to do that. Maybe it was a parent to a child. The child was, supposed, was instructed to wait for so long. And then all of a sudden they were done waiting because they wanted it now, right? Or they were done waiting and needed it, right? They gave into their temptation. And all of a sudden the parent said, but I was right here ready to bless you with even more. See, that's our father in heaven. He wants the same thing for us. But a lot of times we don't wait. We're selfish. Listen to what it says from there. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, 
uh, when, I, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, get this, that's why I highlighted it, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt, do you get that? I thought, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. So many times in our lives, we just make decisions based off of our emotions. We overreact, we let things trigger us, and we thought, or we were so compelled, or we felt, but God was telling Saul, Samuel is the man that will come, and he will, he will bless you if you just wait. And I'll, I'll share with that in just one second, but let's go on to saying this one. Listen, when we have selfish impatience, check this out. We're chewing our fingernails, right? Now, see, I'm not a fingernail chewer, but uh, I know that some of you are. And I think that's either a bad habit, no offense, or it's a sign of nervousness and anxiety, and it's something to, like, kind of distract you from things, right? Wouldn't you believe that when I looked up pictures on the internet for a, a person that chews their nails, you know who was number one? You'll never guess. LeBron James sits on the court chewing his fingernails. Next time you watch him, you'll see. He chews his fingernails. It's the craziest thing. All to say, this is a play on words, that whatever the chewing of our fingernails is in our lives, it's a moment where we're taking things out of God's hands, and we're now putting them into our hands, and we're trying to use coping mechanisms, whether it's emotions, or it's distractions, or we're giving into temptation, whatever that may be. So here's the next thing, under selfish impatience. Like Saul— Saul was blinded in that moment. He was distracted. He was impatient. And he only saw his circumstances. What were his circumstances? The troops are coming, and I've got to do something quick and now. And he saw the delay. You told me you were going to be here on the seventh day. Just because Samuel didn't show up at the start of the seventh day didn't mean that he wasn't faithful to his promise. It's just that Saul didn't wait. How many times in our lives have we forgotten Have we forgotten God? Why aren't you here, he said. And in doing so, Saul forgot God, taking matters into his own hands because he wanted to see the results now. So it says, like Saul, we only see the circumstance. How many of you can identify with that? We only see the circumstance in the moment. We are totally stressed out. And we were like, this is my circumstance. This is my situation. I've got to take matters into my own hands and make this right. Or maybe it's not in the circumstance. Maybe it's the fact that you were told something and now that person has not followed through with you to the point that you're holding them to that accountability, right? We want to see those results now. It's so sad. I, I, I empathize and I sympathize with Saul because I've been exactly where he is in, in, in portions of my life where I know God has promised me something, but I just can't wait. I'm the person that's like, you want me to only have one now and later? I'm going to eat all four right now because I've already had one and I've tasted it and I know what it tastes like. And I can't wait for the other ones. I need them now. Well, let's go back to the text because there's a, there's a driving point to this. You're probably like, well, what happened to Saul, right? Before we get there, I want to actually go back one for me. I want to remind you of a couple of things that maybe we forget in our lives when we try to play God and we take matters into our own hands. I found these three Bible verses that I thought were perfect. Hebrews 13, 5 says, never will I leave you or forsake you. Right? God's with us. God, Emmanuel, God is with us. He says in Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass 
through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames will not set you ablaze. I will be with you. How many times have we forgot these promises? And I thought about this last one, and I I found this cool graphic of like coffee in the morning, because many of you start your morning with coffee, right? What would it look like if we started our morning and we were reminded that God will always provide our needs for us according to his riches in, in, in Christ Jesus, right? In his glory and in his timing, he will always provide. I have this, uh, this bracelet that I wear around um, my friend Tracy Cargill, who I teach with at Stony Brook. Um, if she's listening right now, I want her to know that she gave me this about three years ago for my, for my birthday, and it just says enough. And it reminds me of so many things in that one word. It reminds me that God is enough. It reminds me that I'm enough through God's strength, it reminds me that sometimes I'm, I'm, I, I need to just, that's enough, back off. There's so much to it, and yet we forget. See, at the root of our impatient drive for the instant gratification is a lack of faith in God. There was a lack of faith in Saul. There was a lack of faith in Saul to, to have Samuel be there for him. There was a lack of faith in Saul that God was going to do what God said he was going to do. And here's what ends up happening. There's a sinful defiance. I have this conversation with Jen a lot. It's like, hey, are, are you doing the best you can? And I am really struggling with this, but I am working hard in my, in my years right now that I need to be having the mindset that every person I come in contact with is doing the best they can and to not be critical and to not be impatient with them and then to not judge them. And man, is it a preaching to the choir moment for me in my life. It is something that I'm really working through, but I want you to hear this as we finish our text here, it says, you have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, check it out, God would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom won't endure. And now the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, which is, of course, David. We know in 1 Samuel sixteen seven it talks about that specifically. And he's appointed David ruler of his people because guess what, Saul? You did not keep the Lord's command. You did not keep the Lord's command. I, I want to just give one other analogy because I think maybe for some of you, you need a different angle. Have you ever heard of jumping the gun? Right? These are two pictures that I found about jumping the gun. And see, this is what Saul did. This is why I'm empathetic and sympathetic towards him because I've jumped the gun before. Okay? Jumping the gun means when you're at the starting line of something and it says to go, you've already gone ahead before the start. Before someone's told you it's okay. Whether that's in track, whether that's in, in uh, swimming or any other event, or as many just, uh, if, if talking literally with a gun, it's pulling the trigger when you shouldn't have, right? Like the trigger just goes off. See, listen to this. When we've jumped the gun, our demand for instant gratification prompts us to take matters out of God's hands and into our own. I know I've shared that with you, but check this little thing I thought of. When we start early or run ahead of God— or even try to hurry him, very much like putting things in a microwave, saying, oh, you know what, God? I'm just going to throw all my problems in a microwave, and poof, hopefully they'll come out, and they'll be all perfect and delicious, and I'm ready to go. Is that who God is? Is God a microwave God? I don't think so, friends. Now we're serving the God of the microwave mentality, where we just want it now. See those people? They weren't really doing anything wrong. They just probably weren't listening. They weren't waiting. They wanted to get that head start but they wanted, they just got a little bit ahead of God. And even sometimes in our life, when we do that, there's consequences. Let's look and see what Saul dealt with. 
His true character, idolatry, disobedience, unbelief, rebellion, selfishness. John Raskin, I found this quote. It says, God will put up with a great many things in the human heart, but there's one thing that he will not put up with in it, a second place. Oh, that made me really think. A second place. He who offers God a second place offers him no place. If you want to make room for God, he needs to be first. Disobedience is the result of unbelief. I truly believe when we disobey, it's because we don't believe in a God who can, can get us through that situation. We don't believe, we forget who God is in our life. And Frederick Douglass said it best. The thing worse than rebellion is the thing that what? Causes rebellion. Who causes a rebellion? We do. We're the ones. See the microwave mentality? It short circuits. Go to the next slide for me as I close up here. Short circuits God's timing and further delays his good plans for us. See the microwave mentality impedes our spiritual growth and warps our character. Um, how many of you read the book uh, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren? I love that book. Very simple, but such a great book. If you haven't read it, grab it. I love the quote. He says, there are no shortcuts to maturity. You, you, can't, you can't shortcut maturity. Spiritual formation is not a shortcut, my friends. You know what else the microwave mentality does? It divides and shatters relationships. It plunges us into debt, which could result in bankruptcy, depending on how you go about the micro mentality. If you're like, I'm just going to binge, binge buy all these things, now all of a sudden you have no money because you're in so deep. Or it prevents God from fulfilling all his good plans for our lives. Like it says in Jeremiah 2011, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So friends, if not the microwave mentality, then what do I have to offer you? I have four points as we close our time. It says, wait, wait on the Lord. So, so hard. I know. It says, wait for the Lord even when he delays or hasn't answered your request yet. Waiting. Sometimes your answer is yes. Sometimes your answer is no. And sometimes your answer is wait. Believe, my friends. Believe that God will provide. Even when the bills pile up or you're living paycheck to paycheck, that's just one example. Maybe it has something to do with an illness. Believe that God will provide. He'll protect. He'll be there. Friends, stay faithful. Stay faithful even when ministry or work ethic, work efforts, excuse me, seem to be coming up short or in vain. So many times we go to work and we think what we're doing is not actually helping anyone, but I'm telling you it will. If you do it under God's will, which is where you serve him first and then serve others second. And finally, friends, look forward to God's vindication. Even when your reputation is tarnished, trashed, questioned, any of those things. So we need to wait. We need to believe. We need to stay faithful. And we need to look forward. Put the last picture up. As we close our time, I'm going to have the worship band come on up. I'll try not to get emotional. This is Charlie Sue. Those of you that don't know our story, we had a waiting process. Much like maybe some of you have had a waiting process in some portion of your life, whether it's waiting for a, a relationship to get better or waiting for um, a business to come through or waiting for um, uh, so many different things, financial help. Jen and I got married in 2005 and we thought... You know, we'll hang out for a little bit, and then about two years in, we'll start trying to have a child. And we started, and we didn't get any answers. We got a lot of frustration. We got a lot of 
knows. We got a lot of hurt and emotion. And those of you that know our story and have been here through it with us at Coast Bible Church know that as this was going on, all our other friends were getting pregnant. Everybody else's Christmas cards were the new baby or the new something. And Jen and I just kept going and we just kept going. All right, we're going to wait on the Lord. It was the toughest, toughest part of our marriage by far, by far. Trying to understand each other in communication, trying to understand each other. Is this really bothering you, Jen? Is it really bothering you, Doug? Like, what's wrong with us? I started questioning, like, maybe I'm doing things that God is not going to, he's not going to bless me because I've sinned too much, or I've done something wrong to my wife, or something like that. And we've all had those moments where we start questioning everything, and we, we want to jump the gun, and we want, God, why won't you just answer my prayer? All we wanted to do was have a child. Two years in, nothing. We start, we start trying all the things, as you guys know, right? In vitro, all these, right? We start moving towards that, right? And all of a sudden, when we finally realized that God was saying, you need to surrender. You need to surrender some things. Jen, you need to stop working for a bit. Doug, you need to deal with your stress in your life. We need to work through some things. All of a sudden, we get the phone call from our, from, from our, from our place, and they said, you guys are pregnant. I remember that. And I remember that if I would have tried to rush that in that moment, if I would have tried to rush that in that moment, God had so much more. We weren't ready. And if we would have tried to say, I want it now, I want it now, we wouldn't have the story that we have to share with others. We wouldn't have the understanding of what it means to wait on the Lord. And Charlie Sue is such a gift from God. What a blessing she is, as you saw her passing out note sheets and you've heard her sing and all these things, right? That is our miracle. But we wouldn't have that miracle if we didn't wait on the Lord. And the Lord blessed us because of waiting. And waiting is tough. And I don't know what you're waiting on right now, but God is saying, stay in it. As Tom encouraged us for the last three to four weeks, you're in the waiting room, friends. And it's not easy. And sometimes we just want to press the button and have the instant result. But we're not going to have it all the time. And so I encourage you, whatever it is you're waiting on, do not give in to instant gratification. Do not give in to it. Allow the Lord to do something beautiful in the waiting process because he did something beautiful in my family. Let me close this in a word of prayer. God, you are the God who provides, the God who is our banner, our refuge, our safety. God, you are a God that wants to stir our hearts, that wants us to share your gospel message with so many, Lord. God, I pray that there are people right here in this church that are passionate about serving and worshiping the God of revival, a God who wants to radically change Orange County. It starts right here with Coast Bible Church. It starts with us being serious about what it looks like to practice delaying our gratification, waiting on the Lord, and pursuing the things that God would want us to pursue. So God, now, I don't know everyone's story in this room, but I know that it probably touched some hearts. Maybe there's some people that are dealing with infertility. Maybe there's some people that are dealing with a, a relationship that's gone sour. Maybe there, there's people dealing with financial issues. Maybe there's people dealing with cancer or ailments. But God, we will continue to wait on you. We will not forget your promise that you said you'll never leave us or forsake us, God. So go with each and every one of these people today. Remind them, Lord, that your promises are now and your promises are later. God, 
that there's beauty in waiting. Lord, thank you for this worship team behind me and their hearts. God, I pray as we close out our time, Lord, that our hearts would stir as we sing this last worship song together. We give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.